it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This is a crowd podcast. I didn't care whether I lived or died. You had everyone on your side. The high is that much different to ordinary sports. I went, no, it's not happening. You've always been sold as one of us. To the head and up the body. You wrote a great book, Las Vegas Tales. Pete Bank Mayweather. Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Right. This is part two. If you haven't listened to part one, definitely go back and listen to part one. Part two. <laughs> part two. Yeah. Well, we mentioned Billy Graham and, and you that you patch things up. Obviously, famously, was your alliance with him throughout your career. But then you sort of fell out. Is that right? For for a bit, or you at least you had a bit of a, a bit of sort of a break from from each other. Yeah, we we we, we fell out. I mean, I um, when I got beat by Mayweather. I mean, I'm Mayweather's Mayweather at the end of the day. But I wanted to make a comeback. You know, I was a, I'm a firm believer. You know that's. You know, legacies are built on, you know, it's all right when you're winning and everything's rolling along nice and hunky-dory, isn't it? But you find out what a champion you are and your legacy is built when you come back and bounce back from a defeat, you know what I mean? Mm. So it's my turn to come and bounce back from a defeat uh, after the Mayweather loss. So then a box at the City of Manchester Stadium against Juan Lascano. And although it was like being a big Man City fan, it was like a box ticked, something I always wanted to, to do. I don't think it was my best performance to be honest with you I thought it was Meh. but having said that you know I was I said to Billy Graham I said Billy I said it's the first time I've been knocked out it's the first time I've had to come back from a knocked out that might add to the you know to the to the performance do you know what I mean the first time you've been knocked out your next fight you know what I mean uh, you know when you spoke earlier what was it like getting getting it again do you know what I mean it's like that after your first knockout mm. you know you take a few and you think Ooh. it's really your best performance yeah. the first fight back and after that's, a loss that's the point I was making to Billy but he was saying I think you should hang up the really? gloves I think you should have after the, the last kind of fight yeah. and the thing is how old are you at that time Ricky sorry looking about the 30 mark 29 mm. he said Billy was of the opinion you know you need to pack in and I think at the time Billy if you see if you remember the 24-7 that we used to do you know Billy was having needles in his hands I was of the opinion I said listen Billy I said I'm going to continue me, me, me boxing because um, I mean it's my first fight back from a not, you know a knockout defeat so it's going to be a bit of a few very scary moments you know I've got to I've got to you know put that demon of the knockout behind me I said so that might be the reason but I said Billy I said also I said you know don't you think you're 
time has, has come. I said, the first time you took me on the pads, you know, you'd move, you'd jab, you'd jab, it would be rapid, your feet were moving and out. And because he was having injections with his hands, his pad work was a little bit short, slower. When he was throwing the jab at me, it was he was pushing it rather than like it used to be back in the day. And he was having that many needles in his hands. He, he couldn't even feel the punches. He was, you know, so how do you know how, how do you know how hard I'm hitting Billy mm. if you can't feel the punches and that? So I just and it wasn't Billy's fault. It was just father time because don't forget before Ricky Hatton came along, there was Cow Thompson, there was Enzo Bingen, there was Steve the Viking Foster, there was Paul Burt, there was Morris Cole, there was Frank Grant, there was, you know, from the back yeah. of the Champs Camp days, yeah. you know. So, I mean, when I thought if I'm going to continue with me, me boxing, Billy, I said I need the Billy Graham of five, six, seven, eight years ago because I said, you know, he, he, and, he, and he was, and he, he openly admitted himself, he was falling to bits, mm -hmm. bit by bit, so he didn't share the enthusiasm with me, and that's why we had a little, that's why we had a bit of a fallout, yeah, and then I went to Floyd Mayweather Senior for the Malinaji fight next, yeah. You sort of came back together, it was on camera. Yeah. What, what was that, can you remember? Well, there was, they did, um, they wanted to do a 10-year anniversary, right. anniversary celebration of the Costa Zoo fight, because, I mean, we've had such great nights in in manchester you know what i mean at that manchester arena with manchester fighters and that but i mean that night when i beat costia zoo to be universally recognized the number one in my weight division i think it's manchester's oh you don't think bad of me for saying this it's probably manchester's biggest biggest night you know when you beat a pound for pound like you know like costia zoo was and uh, a mancunian make him quit on his stool it was just one of them so they did a 10-year <coughs> anniversary celebration and i'd not made up with billy so i said to the people that were putting it on i said i'm not going to this party if while i'm not made up with billy graham mm. i said forget it i said i'm not bothering what's the point of me doing everything what i've done my greatest ever win and then i'm, I'm, I'm going to celebrate it without billy i went no it's not happening so I'm not going. If Billy Green's not going, and they were selling tickets, we're moving and everything like that, and they went, Rick, please come. You won't regret it. Please come. You won't regret it. So then I thought to myself, I thought, well, you know, if I'm going here, if you know, if I'm going to go this do it, I thought I'm going to get pissed then. So if I don't, you know, at least if I'm pissed, I won't feel as bad. So I got there, I had a, had a few, and then I, and I walked into the, through, through the VIP section, and I walked into the arena, and Billy Green was there, wasn't he? And I went, oh my. God, you know, and I give him a hug and, you know, everything. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, no. He said, no, 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 no. I said, listen, Ricky, it was a great night. He said, our greatest ever night, wasn't it? He said, you know, so uh, you didn't know you didn't want to come, you know, because you, you thought I wasn't coming. And I, he said, I wanted to come, you know, to, to, to celebrate it with you again. And that's what it was. And then the next day we went for a beer together and had a chat over, you know, what went wrong and this, that and all the rest of it, you know, and. We never, never looked back since. Yeah, yeah. it was a great time. That cost you zoo fight. That's lovely. Yeah, I think a lot of boxing fans, particularly of our age, will, will be like, it's heartening to hear that, isn't it? Yeah, because we, we grew yeah. up watching. Because he wasn't just my trainer. Mm. He was, you know, it's fair. And, you know, for our sins, me and Billy used to go out on the beer together. <laughs> and I wouldn't recommend that, you know, any of that with any other trainer. But we were, we're like, we were like thick as figs together. You know, we were like, you know, that's what, you know, the, the you know, when he had, when I mentioned earlier about the Senchenko fight, my mum and dad wasn't there. And Billy, I hadn't made up with Billy Graham there. Billy Graham wasn't just my trainer, he was one of my best mates. Mm. And I, um, and you think to yourself, I went through a period in my life where I thought, well, I worked so hard to achieve what I've done in boxing and to succeed in, in so many ways. Well, after I got beat by Pacquiao, that mean I knew my career was over then. I thought, listen, Rick, you, you passed it now, son. You know what I mean? That's your day. So I knew no boxing, no boxing left in my life, no mum and dad in my life, no Billy Graham in my life. 
and that's when I um, was at my darkest, um, my darkest moments. Then I thought, God, what did I do it for? Can't celebrate it with Billy. I can't celebrate with my mum and dad. Boxing's gone. I'm never going to fight. I'm never going to, you know. And I didn't care whether I lived or died. How did you drag yourself back from there? It's difficult. I mean, everyone does it different different ways, don't they? I mean, I was uh, I was training. And I was trying to keep keep healthy, you know, best uh, best I could. But you know, sometimes I'd win, sometimes I'd fail. Millie, my first daughter, was was born, and she wasn't planned. I held her in my arms at the hospital, and uh, I said, "Listen, you've got to get it yourself together now. It's about you. It's not just about you. It's about your kids. You know what I mean? You've got Campbell, who's you know fantastic. I said, you've got another one on the way. Come on, pull yourself together. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I had to go and um, see a psychiatrist in, in Manchester. And I went in and I threw myself down on my knees. He, he come up from around the desk. I threw myself on my knees and I put my arms around him. And I said, you need to tell me what to do here. He said, because I can do it. In that boxing ring, there's nothing I can't do. But I said, you know, you need to tell me what I need to do to put this right because I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. I won't be here next week if you don't tell me what, I'm, what I need to do today. And um, he spoke to me and talked to me and, you know, and I got loads of things off me, my chest that I probably felt that I couldn't do to my mates. And what sort of lad, you know, can sit and go to his mates and, you know, in the pub and turn around and go, how are you, Rick? Well, not great. I'm crying every day. You know, I want to kill myself every day. And that you, you, for a man to say that, you, you can't. It's hard to, I guess, you know, sometimes, you know, you hold it in, don't you? you think They're going to think I've lost the plot here, which, mm. which I had done. But as, as a fighter, you end up getting without knowing it your therapy sometimes comes through your discussions with your coach or with your parents because and they're not really problems but it's just how you're thinking and feeling because boxing is uh it is an emotional driven sport isn't it it's oh, physical it's mental yeah. but it's, it's emotional as well so if you didn't have billy in your life or he wasn't speaking to your parents at the time then i don't know i mean me me uh me ex at the time, Jennifer, you know, Millie and Fern's uh, mum, she knew I was in a bad way, but I even, and I, and I lived with her, but I was still even, you know, not quite, you know, I was keep putting a brave face on, you know what I mean? When she'd go, when she'd go out, I'd be in turmoil. And then when she'd come through the door, I'd go, I love you, okay, you all right? You know, but it was, wasn't in a, it wasn't in a good place. But um, bit by bit, I just got in the routine of what the psychiatrist was telling me. And um, I went to Tenerife, I have a place in Tenerife and I went there for for the whole of the summer and I thought, I'm just not going to drink, I'm not going to go out, I'm just going to train every day, run every day, enjoy the sun, eat healthy and this and that and just started feeling um, better in myself. I lost a lot, I lost a bit of weight and just felt better just just in general, in body, in mind, everything. I just, uh, and that's how, that's how I got past it and then I, I you know, I decided that I, I felt I had to make a comeback because I felt like I'd let people down. And people turned around and said to me, and they say, well, listen, Ricky, you know, you got beat by Mayweather. You got beat by Pacquiao, you know what I mean? You know, you've not let it, you're not anyone down. And, you know, and the story was in of me in the in, in the paper, you know what I mean? And they thought, you know, everyone thought, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the, the kid next door, you know, no airs and graces, Ricky, and good lad, down to her feet on the ground, doesn't have a bad word to say about anyone. And then when it came in the paper, I um, and this is my mental health again and my paranoia I was thinking everyone's going to everyone thought you know look at the state of him you know kid next door you could have fooled me type thing so it doesn't matter what everyone thinks I felt I needed to get a little bit of respect back for myself you know because I mean I, you know of what I did 
and that's why I ended up making the uh, the comeback in which I did. And uh, and I think everyone thought, oh my God, what's going to happen to Ricky now? He's got beat again. Oh, is the wheels going to fall off here again and that? But it, it wasn't. It had the opposite effect to me. I thought to myself, well, I could have beat you years ago, but if I can't do now, I've got the answer what I needed to know. Yeah, you've passed it. I got more respect after that comeback because people said, you know, look, we've all had problems. Ricky's had his problems. Not you know, we've all had problems, but, you know, look how he's come back, you know, from it and that. And I think uh, people have seen me, you know, from such good times to such low times to get that, to get myself back on track. I think, uh, I think pe people respected me more. You've always been sold as one of us, you know, like as in yeah. the every, you know, he's one of one of us, but you, you yeah, also... When that come in the paper, that's a, that's exactly what I didn't feel like. You're like, obviously an exceptional sportsman, a talented sportsman, so what you do in the ring, no one can do, yeah. you know, I mean, not the average bloke in the pub can do. They feel some sort of bond with you. But then, yeah, having struggles, I think, and overcoming and dealing with them in a positive way is reassurance for a lot of people that, yeah, that's, you know... Uh, yeah, it was, you know, that's what I felt, felt I needed to do and people were saying, you don't need to, you, we all have problems, Rick, and that, but you know, so I always, and that's why a bit when I say like a little bit of mental health and that, when I got beat by Mayweather, I think that was maybe the start of it. And I'd walk down the street and I'd, I'd think, I'd, I'd be paranoid, I'd be thinking like everyone's laughing at me because I got knocked out, told everyone I was going to win and I didn't. And he's knocked me out. Look, they're all, they're all looking at me laughing. That's how that's how bad it was. Yeah. I had to cancel all functions, you know, like sportsmen's dinners and appearances and stuff like that. You had to cancel them all because I thought that everyone was laughing at me and embarrassed. The start of it was at the Mayweather fight. I mean, I got beat by Floyd Mayweather. So mentally I was, I, I, I was down. And then I boxed at the City of Manchester Stadium. So I was back up. Then I fell out with Billy Graham, which uh, back down again, you know. Then I fought Paulie Malinaji, Nolan Liam Gallagher carried me belts in and stopped him in the 11th round, you know what I mean? So in Vegas, so my confidence was back up. And then I got knocked out by Manny Pacquiao, so my confidence was down again. And then I fell out with my mum and dad. So it was boxing over, no mum and dad, no Billy Graham. You know what I mean? I mean, my mental state was going like yeah. that do you know what I mean and it started off at Mayweather ended off with Pacquiao and uh, for people even locally this is where I live you know G-Cross Hyde Hattersley this, I've, I've lived here all my life for people to see me like I was now because even just the locals they'd see me in a pub you know beside on my own an absolute mess crying in the corner on my own do you know what I mean? And people used to say, you know, look at Ricky there. Let's get him home. And they put me in a taxi. And some people would go, oh, look, look at him. Look at the state of Ricky now. From where he, where he's been and what he's done to look at him now. And it was horrible to see for family, for friends, and just the local community to just actually see their local hero in the mess that I was. So from where I am today, when, when they saw me do my exhibition a few weeks back, you know, lost me weight, kept me weight off and doing stuff for mental health and stuff like that. It's uh, It's been a long, long journey. Athletes famously always have to struggle with life after competition. Do you think that it's even worse for boxers? But question for both of you, really, because the, the high is that much different to ordinary sports. Yeah, well, it's like the most nerve. I don't know whether George agrees with me, but the most nerve-wracking thing for for me is when you like when the TV in the change rooms go right. Come on, because they go when they go ten minutes, 50, 15 minutes, ten minutes, five minutes. You you always think it's never going to come, and then when they go right, come on, you think oh jeez, you know. <laughs> and then when you <laughs> when your opponent nine times out of ten's in the ring and you're in the tunnel, you know what I mean, and they pull the 
to pull the thing down. You know, I used to stand there and I think, used to think to myself, "Where's my Zimmer phone?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to think to myself, oh, "What the fucking am I doing this for?" <laughs> that's what I used to think. And that, but then when you retire, that's the one thing that adrenaline rush that it's the best bit, isn't it? Yeah, that's the one thing you miss out of the whole lot. It's the one thing you hate. At the time, you think, what am I doing this? I must be crazy, me. What am I doing this for again? Oh, my God, you know. And then when it, you know, when it, when you think it's gone, retirement, I mean, it's like, you know, to have, you know, you know, when you, you box, you know, you box cow, that, that the size of that crowd and the entrance you come out to and that, you know, and in, in my case, when I, when I had like 40,000 fans in Vegas singing there's only one Ricky Hatton, when you've had that adrenaline, that rush, that euphoria, you know, and then all of a sudden retirement comes, mm. you think to yourself, how am I going to replace that? Because, you know, when you retire as boxers, we, we retire, you retire young, don't you? You know, 30, 34, if you're lucky, 35 or something like that. You know, you've still got the rest of your life. But what are you going to do for the rest of the life when you've experienced that? And I think it's the same for footballers. Mm. You know, footballers, you know, you're walking out of the Etihad or Old Trafford, you know, to 60,000 fans and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got to retire. And I think that's why so many don't cope. Mm. with it because I mean you know you you retire but you're not dead your life's still got to go on you've still got a lot of years left in you but once you've experienced that it's very very tough boxing, boxing moves on doesn't it Rick and then and fans move on yeah, you know yeah. and I think for the vast majority of your career you had everyone on your side like a big bulk of your career was before sort of everyone was on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that and no one's going to bump into you in the street and say a bad word to you but online they will or they just will say nothing you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and I feel like that that's like that's something that a lot of fighters might struggle with everyone's interested in you while you're fighting and then you're not you know you're not as interested anymore yeah. you lose this like crisis of identity you know Kel Brooks spoke about it recently I haven't yeah. seen what he said but you know he's, he's back in the gym because he's struggling what to do with himself yeah he said he um, feels like some part of him's died yeah mm. it's a very selfish way of looking at things because i mean but from a you know what a boxer you know you have your team you have your trainer you have your manager your promoter and you know that goal that goes without saying that i've been with you every step of the way and everything like that but it's and you, and when you win you celebrate that with them but i mean sounds a bit selfish but you know when you get your hand raised in that boxing ring you know what i mean you're not sharing it with 10 teammates or 11 teammates and that you know you get all that yeah. <laughs> it's all you on your, your own and you know you work worked hard for it and everything like that but you know you get the heart it's not like it's not like you're sharing it with a team or anything it's, it, it's all on you you're like whoa got me hand raised in front of you know thousands of people and it's was it's, that the uh, best bit for you yeah there's no there's no feeling there's no feeling like it and you know how you think how are you going to replace that you've got to do got to do but i think that's why so many so many boxers i know sports people in general but i mean boxers because you you know it's you get all that praise all that you know love from the fans you you know you're you, you're just there in the ring on your own <laughs> you know what i mean and it's 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 tough Okay, boys, I think we'll have a breather there. Do you know what we got after this, George? What have we got, Dick? Best feature ever. Best it's feature like, It's ever. the best feature we've ever done. Yes. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Let's have a break first. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. 
That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So, Rick, what we do every week, we'll have a feature. And uh, it's usually a quiz, mate, to be honest. Uh, I don't know, are you a quizzer? Yeah. Um, do, 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 do you do the local quiz? <laughs> no. I can't, say, I can't say I'm an Albert Einstein. No, I can't right. at all, but uh, I'll so, give it a go, yeah. yeah. We'll give it a go. We knock, we knock around a couple of feature names, usually sort of relative. Puns. Yeah, punt. Yeah. <laughs> Puns for the guests. I've left this one. It's all, all to me. So, if this one's rubbish, yeah, then it's all my it fault. Could be, <laughs> it could be. So, Ricky Hatton feature is... Only raging bulls and horses. It's a, it's John O'Sullivan's Only Fools and Horses sitcom okay, no. meets the boxing world, right? Uh, it's our latest word smash feature, right? So, of course, you're a huge fan of Only Fools and Horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got the van. I think you did a, a thing recently with Sky. So, I did, I did write it and then panic. I was like, oh, has, <laughs> have I made all this up? Right. Um, so, simple UV deck. One question versus one question. I'll give you uh, two questions and you have to smash both the answers together to give me the correct uh, word smash. An example would be the full name of Rodney Trotter's brother with Manchester Hitman who has formerly uh, the light welterweight wins over Costa Zoo, right? It would answer would be Derek and Ricky Hatton. It would be Derricky Hatton. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're, you're, you're an advantage because I haven't watched Fools and Horses since I was a kid. Yeah. I know about five characters. <laughs> you ain't going to do well. No. Right. Uh, Rick, do you want to go first or second? Second. Second, oh. right. Here we go. <laughs> right. I hope it starts Here easy. Here we go. go Deck. They do. They're we ease into it. Right. Okay. Question one. Significant other of Del Boy, who he first met under the big clock at Waterloo with Sheffield boxer, former IBF welterweight world champion. Kel Brook is the second bit. Yeah. Don't know her name. Go on, Ricky. Pass over to Ricky. Raquel. Raquel. <laughs> Raquel Brook. Raquel Brook. Yeah. Right. That's good, George, to be fair. That's a good question. Well, right, yeah, you go, right. right. Who is the actor who plays lead character Del Boy Trotter with Heavyweight World Champion born in Arkansas or Arkansas anywhere? And he won the title beating Floyd Patterson twice. Uh, David Jason. I got it. Pressure's on. <laughs> Everyone in the fucking like, room's got it. <laughs> is it, it oh, don't give me any clues, George. Fucking hell. No, I've got to help Rick. He's a legend, mate. No, um, no, time you out. David J. Sonny Liston. Yes. Come oh, on. For God's sake, Rick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Number three. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what was the common name of Leonard Pierce's character who lived with Del Boy and Rodney smashed with unbeaten boxing prospect from Slough who has a boxing brother called Hassan? Grandadam Dazim. Grandadam Azim, well Grand done. Azim. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Recurring police chief character who features in To Hollenbach and Class of 62 with American heavyweight who fought Ali Holmes twice, famously dropping Holmes in the seventh and described by Ali as the hardest puncher he'd ever faced. Slater Shavers. 
Yeah, well, yeah. Royce Slaterny Shavers. Very Royce good. Shavers. Very yeah. good. Oh, yeah. Right, thank you. That must be a point. Yeah, you that get, you get two. Yeah, yeah, that's two points there. <laughs> the name of the house block the Trotters live in with American heavyweight world champion who's known as the Eastern Assassin. Oh, fuck. No, I don't know. What is it? Oh, Ricky. Nelson Mandela oh. House. Nelson Mandela House. Nelson, Nelson Mandela, Mandela Larry. House. Yeah, that was very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, that was hard, yeah. Right. Um, no, that wasn't hard because no, that's what I actually knew. Very right. good. Right. Local pub frequented by the Peckham locals with British promoter son of Barry. Nag Zag Eddie Hearn. Yes. Nag Zag Eddie Hearn. What's the score? He's about 5 0 up here. Right. Tra, famous for his war stories, with American boxing writer and sports historian known for his trademark. Fedora and unlit cigar. Uncle Albert Sugar. Yes. Character played by Angela Bruce, who awarded Derek with a medal, the Olympic gold medalist from Montreal, 1976, who later goes on to make up part of the Fabulous Four. Councillor Murray Sugar Leonard. Yeah, Councillor Murray Leonard. Well <laughs> yeah, <done>. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Just stick right, sugar in that. Uh, tiebreaker question. Tiebreaker. <laughs> tiebreaker. Whoever jumps in first with this question. Okay. That's right. Manchester Hitman with Quying Star. Ricky Angelino. <laughs> Ricky Hatoni Angelino. <laughs> <laughs> I want that. He didn't need it, but he like, what was that about 10 2? That was brilliant. That was very good, Ricky. Very, very good. <laughs> Um, easy work. This one will give you an Works easy. Match. This one will give you an easy one. Which, yeah. which one? <laughs> <laughs> Owning raging bulls and horses. Let's uh, before we close out. Let's have a look back at some of the big nights. So we mentioned Costa Zoo. When you look back on it all, was that number one? Yeah, I think that was me. 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 Uh, me greatest win. I mean, um, to be a world champion is an uh, unbelievable, uh, you know, achievement. But um, with there being um, so many versions of a world title in a weight division, there's four or five versions of a of a world title, you know, to be the, the number one in your weight division, you can be a world champion, but, you know, Costa Zoo was the number one in my weight division. In a, uh, he actually unified the belts against Zab Judder, defended him up against Shambay Mitchell. But when he fought me, he vacated him. Uh, mine and Costa's fight was only for the IBF title, but he was universally recognised as you know the best one, in, the best fighter in my division. I think he was number two pound for pound in in the world at the time, and um, his uh, his record as an amateur, I think I think his record was. It, I think unbelievable a great something like you know 300 fights lost five or something mm. like something like that probably when you think one of the you know the greatest like welterweights that you know that there's ever there's ever been and it's not too often that we have a British fighter <laughs> fighting someone of that that stature or, or a British fighter or a Mancunian fighting a fighter of that stature in Manchester you know Manchester Arena two o'clock in the morning they had it to, to coincide with American and Australian television so they had that at two o'clock in the morning, 20,000 people in Manchester, a Mancunian fighting someone of the statue of, of Costa Zoo. It was, uh, and nobody picked me to, to, you know, to, to win it. Costa Zoo was knocking out everyone. He had a murderous right hand punch. I was known to be susceptible with my defense to a right hand over the top. And I think everyone was behind me, goes without saying. But I think, you know, even when I got in the ring in Manchester, there was like, every, all the fans were behind me, but there was like a nervous tension where, you know, everyone thought that, you know, thought that much of me. I think they thought, yeah, we love Ricky, you know, when he's got half a chance, but, oh, I can't help but think he's going to walk onto one of these right hands. And 
Mine was a short right hand, but Eastern Europeans get out of distance. So I thought, if I move in on him quick, even if he gets one in, he's not. I'm taking the sting out of it mm. because he's he's not landing it there where he wants to get you know the leverage in, and it, it worked to be honest with you. Billy Graham just said to me in the first few rounds, sit on his chest, you know, get solid ones and twos up the body, you know what I mean, to the head and up the body. He said, and wait while you know I'm I'm just nudge him and push him and pull him and stay close and squash his work and stuff like mm. that. And don't take too many chances, Ricky. It will get easier if we get to the sixth round mark and hopefully you know further on. And uh, that's what I did. I moved in on me quick, you know, and it's like round two, Billy would say to me, how does his power feel? And I'd say, horrendous, Billy. He's hurting <laughs> me with everyone. <laughs> and then he got to about round six, seven. I went, what's his power like? I said, absolutely murderous. And I said, he's still hitting me. He's still hurting me. <laughs> and then it was like round nine. I think I got into like a little bit of a clinch. And I just felt him physically just sag a little bit. Billy Graham said to me, he said, Ricky, he said, uh, what does it feel now? I said, nothing. Nothing behind him. I could I could blow him over. Yeah, this is the moment we waited for. Now you know what I mean. We've got three rounds left. I think we're maybe one down or something like that. You know, put your foot down now. And that's what I did. And needless to say, you know, he quit on the stool at the end of the um, the eleventh round. And uh, yeah, what a what a night. You know, for the Mancunian to do that, what he did. And it, I mean, I mean, Costa Zoo. It was it was great. I got the mic. And I said, give, you know, congratulate Costa Zoo. You know, if I can be half the champion, he's been, you know, brilliant, you know. Then he got the microphone and he congratulated me. And he said, if you need any help, I'll give you my number. That's what, you know, and it was like, just the win would have done. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But for the whole thing, yeah, it wasn't just the manner who beat and the manner in which you beat. It was just the whole, from start to finish, the whole build up, the whole occasion, the performance, and then how we, we conducted ourselves after as, as champions, the respect we had for each other. And that opened the door then for them um, for them fights in America because Costa Zoo was a star in Australia, obviously, but in America, you know what I mean? He was mm. he was known all over the states, and I think uh, everyone thought <laughs> this this British kid's beat Costa Zoo. We stopped him. How's he uh, done that? You know what I mean? And that opened the gate for me then to go to Vegas and you know and and, and so forth. Yeah. Mm. Did you enjoy fighting in Vegas? I loved it. You know, and I think as kids growing up, I think as a footballer, you know, if you if you if you reach a certain level as a footballer, you want to play in the Italian league, you want to play in the Spanish league, you want to play in the Premiership, and boxing is no different. You know, you want to you know box at Madison Square Garden, which I did. You want to box at Atlantic City, which you did. But and you want to box in Las Vegas because you know through history we still watch them, don't we? You know the the Sugar Ray Leonard's, you know the Marvin Aglers, Tommy Earns, you know Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, all the greats. I've had the names up in lights on the on the strips, you know. And for me, from the local kid from the council estate, that's to to first walk down the strip of Las Vegas and see like Celine Dion, you know, Tom Jones, <laughs> Ricky Hatton. <laughs> like, what? What's that? Is that me? And it's and it's something that you know, just seeing it for the first time still sticks with me to to this day. You know, as a fight, we watched the greats of years gone by, aren't we, all fighting Vegas? So for me to have my my time there, we took over, we owned the place. That's not me being, you know, not being, you know, arrogant or anything like that. You know, nobody had took fans over, I mean, to Vegas, you know, like me, a British fighter. For that, me and Frank went over, didn't he? And he was my hero, still my hero. But, you know, when you talk about, you know, 20,000, you know, for, for Castillo, 40,000 for Mayweather, 20,000 for Pacquiao. It's, it's, you know, that's why people say to me, what was your greatest ever achievement? You know, yeah, beating Costa Zoo was me, my greatest win, you know what I mean? And fighting, you know, 
Floyd Mayweather was, you know, to, to you know, as he's arguably one of the best of, of all time. But I think is I think in general, I think it was my fan base. Because, you know, whether it was at home in the city of Manchester Stadium, 60,000, whether it was 40,000 going over to Vegas, you know, 40,000 didn't go watch England in the World Cup. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? 40,000 to watch me. I had a better fan base than my heroes, the people I aspired to. I can't ask for much better than that. You know, there was individual fights that stuck out and stuff like that. But I think if you were asking for me, it was me, my fan base. It was the people, you know, the, the following just unheard of that Mayweather fight I mean I went over for the Pacquiao fight with Mayweather and um, for atmosphere and, and bodies and you know and fans and stuff like that wasn't even close it was it was something else I wish I could go back in the time machine and just do what my mates did and just sit in the bar fun, yeah. and watch it all because the stories that they told me and that it, you know it's makes me feel proud you know you can see the faces light up when they're when they're discussing it and they're telling it you know it's really was something else you wrote a great book las vegas tales all about that time if there's one moment in closing one moment from that whole sort of era of your life that stands out for you as the the number one moment have you got is that does anything spring to mind um well it ended in defeat the mayweather you know to fight someone like floyd mayweather when you know, I, I keep going on about the referee. I don't. I don't think he was. I don't think he was great that night. But just the atmosphere, you know, the fans going over. You know, people still come up to me today and go, "Oh, Ricky, love watching your career." Them trips to Vegas. Oh, we used to go with the lads. It was, it was brilliant, and it makes me feel so proud. And even though it ended in defeat, I think the Mayweather it will always be a highlight. Well, I think the Malinaji fight was a big one for me. I, I've always been ever since I was a kid. I wanted to be a world champion support Man City and listen to Oasis and Nolan and Liam have been my mates for years and um, I've asked them to carry the belt in you know and they've, not, they've, not, they've been busy sometimes they've been gigging and not been able to do it but for the Malinaji fight they were able to carry the belts in so I'm in the changing rooms warming up and um, Nolan and Liam still haven't come in I'm making my ring walk in about 15 minutes and the next minute door flies over they both fall in piss don't they <laughs> <laughs> so I give Noel the ring magazine belt and I give Liam the IBO belt and Liam was like what do I do with this like so I said well you get up there and hold it up in front of Malinaji's face he went alright nice one sweet <laughs> <laughs> were they fighting over the belt yeah. they already won the ring magazine yeah. belt it no, looks nice well, huh? but then we got in the ring I said hold it up in front of Malinaji's face and then we got in the ring and, <laughs> and Noel I got in Noel got in then Liam got in come straight past the pair of us and went right up to Malinaji and goes what do you think about that you prick <laughs> and right in front of his face like that I thought oh my god came out came out of here but um, and then the manner of my performance because obviously Billy felt like I, I should have packed me me, me me career in and I thought I'll give it one last go and it was my best performance since the Costa Zoo fight Nolan and Liam carried the belts in then we flew to Mexico with them both you know to they were performing in uh, in Mexico um, I never had bigger wins but I think the whole the Las Vegas thing Nolan and Liam carrying the belts in and the fact that you know a few people thought I was past it, but I proved that I was right to, you know, you know, in order to to, to carry on. I think the Koshizu was me, 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 my greatest ever win. I think the 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 uh, Mayweather fight result didn't go the way we wanted, but I think just the occasion, just just everything, everything about it was was very very special, you know. But I mean, when I said to you earlier about I wanted to be a world champion. I, I came four four times world champion, two weight divisions, big Man City fan. I boxed at the City of Manchester Stadium, wanted to listen to Oasis. Nolan and Liam carried the belts in. If you'd have said that to me, you know, when I was a 10-year-old, you know, that I'd, before I'd laced the gloves on, listen, 
you're going to do that, you're going to do that, you're going to do that. And I said, absolute never, you know, but I did. Yeah. It's brilliant. Well, thanks for coming yeah. on today, thanks mate. So thanks for joining the My club. My pleasure, really enjoyed so it, good. Thanks for having us up here, Rick. Cheers. Pleasure. How about that then, Deck? Ooh, that was worth the trip, wasn't it? No, of course it was. We knew it would be. He always delivers, Ricky Hatton. I've spent time in this gym before. You know, remember when I boxed on Manchester undercards for David Hay? We'd come here and we'd do the last, last bit of training, usually the last session up here in, and, uh, in this gym. So it's, it's, a, it's a gym that served me well. He's so he's such an honest bloke as well. Yeah. There was nothing off the table there. No. And it, obviously some of his story is um, through some tougher, darker times, which is he's very brave of him and kind of him I suppose to, to open up because to, he, now he's he has a desire to help others who might be struggling mm. we're not done there though up here are we George we didn't come for one man only did we no 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 you can't come to the Manchester scene uh, and not you know fully indulge yeah. in some Manchester boxing fight talk waiting for Ricky to deliver the, the Gallagher brothers for us but yeah, uh, no until sign of them then yet. we have not got not Joe <laughs> <laughs> but we got more to come from this trip so yes, keep an eye do. on them over the next uh next few weeks and months uh in the meantime do uh, hook us up on the socials deck the socials are of course at gg boxing club do you know the email address yet no, no. gg boxing club <laughs> at crowdnetwork.com mm, no that was no. a 50 50 chance but yeah, yeah. Right. gg boxing if that, club and if that one comes back but the point is gg boxing club at crowdnetwork.co.uk hit us up with your shreds shreds hit us up with your songs for the playlist yes anything else you want to tell us it's a new year remember as well the new Facebook group is up and running use that specifically for your shreds and your best Ricky Hatton stories um, I assume we just search George Gross Boxing Club in your Facebook search engine and you'll find our page, yeah? If you're a Spotify listener, make sure you get your tunes in for the playlist. Yes. And remember, you can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Deck, the next Shreds episode is out Monday. It is all about strength training. Oh. With none other than Daryl Richards, my former strength coach. Oh. And the next normal programming episode is Wednesday. It's another big hitter. It's a Southport. It's John Ryder. Oh. They just thick and fast this year. Yes. Love John Ryder. Can't wait to hear from him. The gorilla. Yes. The gorilla. Is he yeah. the first gorilla in the club? Let's see how he walks into the club. <laughs> Will it be on his knuckles? <laughs>